Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. This is episode number 416 with Ed Milet of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur, Ed Milet. With over a net worth of $400 million from countless ventures, Ed's going to share some amazing stories from his life and businesses, including sharing the traits that have made him so wildly successful. He also has one of the fastest growing social media presences in business history, forming an epic movement around taking control of your life and doing work you love. Please welcome to the podcast, Ed Milet. First question we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Well, my work's pretty diverse, but where it really started was my, who I, you know, why I wrote the book. My dad uh, got sober and I was living in his house. He came home and got me a job. And I said, what's the, de- what's the job, dad? My dad said, you don't get to choose. You're eating out of my refrigerator. Just show up there tomorrow. I didn't know what the job was. And when I showed up the next morning at six o'clock, it was an orphanage. And so I started in my business career at an orphanage, believe it or not. The, the boys that I worked with were, or lived with rather, were all eight to 10 years old and their parents were either dead, incarcerated, or had molested them. And my entire life changed. It's not, you'll never hear a business story like this, but my life changed because I was totally ill-prepared to be there. I was not a dad myself. I'm not a psychologist, but my own upbringing of some dysfunction, and it sort of qualified me to be there. And what I learned was the lesson I've carried through my whole business career briefly is this. Those boys wanted someone to love them, care about them, and here's the big hook, believe in them, and then just show them how to live better. 
And it was while I worked there that I started in my business career and I took those same beliefs with adults in business that everybody that was a client of mine or worked with me wanted someone to love them, care about them, believe in them and show them how to do better. And so ironically, my career started at an orphanage. Yeah, wow. Um, so what age were you, sorry? I was 22 years old, right out of college, a year out of college. And uh, I started in a financial company eventually part-time while I worked there full-time. Yeah. And what happened next? I struggled for the next five years of my life, had a bunch of ups and downs, got successful, and then I wasn't successful. But by the time I was, you know, I became a self-development, personal development addict because I had no self-esteem, no self-confidence. And so the reason I'm in this space in general is because I had to learn all the mental techniques and strategies that I teach just to become a baseline functioning person. And so every rejection in business killed me. You know, every no just crushed me. Every setback was, oh my gosh, I knew it. Or if I was even successful, it was a fluke. They're going to figure out I'm an imposter. But by the time I was 30, I was earning seven figures a year pretty regularly. Mid, mid 30s, I was earning eight figures. By the time I was 40, I was worth nine figures. Um, and then it just got bigger than that in my 40s. And now I'm 51. And, you know, it's, it's gone really, really well for me. But that was that was a time when, you know, cars were getting repossessed. I had my power turned off, my cell phone turned off. I had my wife and I had the water turned off at one point, which is that's the worst because you can't cook. We would have to get up every morning, brother. And I lived in an apartment. I, would have, I was newly married. I would have to walk down and we had a pool at our apartment complex with a swimming pool with an outdoor shower. And every morning I would have to take, hold a towel up while my new wife showered and brushed her teeth. And then we would switch positions and she'd hold the towel up and I would take a shower. And then I'd sort of shamefully walk back up the stairs and get ready for my day. I was selling this big dream to the world and I was living a complete nightmare. Yeah, wow. So how did it get to that? Can we talk through that? Because like, you know, just being honest, like you're a very impressive guy. You, you have a very strong presence. Um, and it was interesting to me that you said that, you know, you you weren't that person. Like, like you, you spent a lot of deep work, spent a lot of time on yourself. A lot, brother. Like, um, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic family. I talk about this a lot in The Power of One More in the book. It's really how I wrote the book. And um, I grew up with chaos. I grew up with anxiety. I grew up with worry. I was small. I was bullied in school. Um, I just never had any self-confidence. And the only thing I was really good at was baseball. Other than that, I wasn't a great student. I wasn't exemplary in anything. And in business, it just seemed to me that every time I'd get it going, I would find a way to blow it. I'd get it going and then I would blow it. And I re realized later that, that was my identity. Your identity, the whole second chapter of the book is on identity, which I believe is the most powerful force on, in the human spirit, which is to be consistent with the worth you have for yourself. And so it's like a thermostat. Like in this room I'm in right now, it's 74, 73 degrees. And no matter what I do outside, if it's, it's about 100, I'm in the desert right now, it's still 73 in here. And so what happens in life is if we accumulate these skills, which I accumulated skills, I knew how to close, I knew how to persuade, I knew how to build a business. So I got 90, 95, 100 degrees of results, but eventually I would turn the air conditioners on of my business right back down and cool it back down to what I believed I was worth. And it would always seem coincidental. Oh, the market changed. Oh my, I need a car repair. We had to make a loan. One of my vendors didn't deliver. It's never coincidental. You turn the air conditioners on of your life every single time to regulate your life back to what your thermostat setting is. And until I realized this invisible force was happening to me all the time, it's most people listening to this, it's happening to them unbeknownst to them. They're like, wait a minute, I do the same thing. I, I lose 20 pounds and I gain it back. I get in a great relationship and then I lose it. I, I make some money and then I'm back to where I was. We're constantly getting our thermostat setting. So the key thing for me was not just accumulate the skills. How do I change my identity? How do I change this thermostat to 90, 95, 100, 105? And the way I write, like in my books, brother, it's not fluff. This is an extremely detailed. I'm one of the few people, I think, because I was so insecure. I documented what I did. I know what I did to change me. It's not puffery. It's not a fluke. It's not, you know, I'm pretty sure. I documented it along the way so that I could teach it. And so I teach you how to change your identity, how to build your self-confidence, how to manage your time, how to develop habits in, in, in the book, because I needed all this stuff. I was terrible at all of it. So can you talk us through kind of that journaling process? Like how often did you, did you document this? And this has been like 30 years in the making? 
Isn't that crazy? It has been probably 30 years in the making. And my overall philosophy, here's my thing. And this is what I think most people have. I always had a vision for my life, some vision. I mean, it was a little bit vague, right? Like, but most of us have some idea, like I'd like to have a jet or I'd like to live in this house or I'd like to experience this emotion. I'd like to feel this way about myself. I'd like to pay off my mom and dad's house, whatever, the, whatever it is. We have some visions for our life. It's not a lack of vision. It's a depth perception issue. I always thought I was further away than I was. And so because I thought I was far away, I behaved in accordance with that belief system and I'd always keep these things at that distance. That's what human beings do. But the truth is, the reason I call it the power of one more, there's many reasons, but the overall premise of the book is this. You are one decision, one relationship, one thought, one emotion, one meeting away from a completely different life. And unless you believe, first off, I'm right about that, it's true. But unless you believe that, and then you program your reticular activating system in your brain to find those things, you will never have them happen to you. But if you begin to believe, I'm one meeting away from a different life. I'm one decision away. I'm one podcast away. I'm hearing one guy in the United States away from changing my life forever. Now, sometimes it's a series of those decisions, a series of those relationships, a series of those meetings. But I played golf with the guy two weeks ago right out here. A friend said, you guys got to meet. This guy's worth about $800 million. He reminds me of you. Your net worths are similar. He got there differently than you. You're not going to believe this, brother. And so I meet him on the first day. I said, hey, man, I don't want to talk about me today. He goes, I'm a big fan. I, wanted, I go, no, I want to know about you. I already know about me. So tell me your story, kind of like what you and I do on our shows. And he goes, well, it's really simple. In 1985, I loaned a guy $50,000. So did my best friend. A week later, my best friend asked for the money back. I didn't. I let the guy keep the loan. It turned into $750 million. I said, say that again. He goes, I loaned him 50 grand. It turned into 750 million. I said, who the heck did you loan this money to? He goes, a guy named Jeff Bezos. I said, you gotta be freaking kidding me. That dude was one decision, one meeting, one person away from dramatically changing his life. That's a dramatic one, right? Mine's a series of those over my life. But I believe you are one of those away. The question becomes in life, all right, if I'm right about that, what are the things you need to think and what are the things you need to do to make those things materialize? And that's what I wrote about. Yeah, wow, fascinating. So can you give us an example of one decision, one person, one conversation, one customer that, that changed the, the trajectory of your life? There are so many, but um, yeah, I'll give you one. I mean, this is, a, this is a one many, many people can relate to. So I'm working at that orphanage and I'm 23 years old. I'm making $5.60 an hour. So that dates how old I am, obviously, right? Um, if you know US dollars, the conversion. And so, um, and I'm reading this book called, uh, at the time I was reading uh, Unlimited Power by a guy named Tony Robbins. And every night there were these infomercials on TV that this guy would do these events, but they were like several thousand bucks. I'd have said thousand dollars, several thousand dollars. Anyway, I ended up getting a series of credit cards and I made the decision to go to that event for a week. So it was called Date with Destiny back in the day. He still has it. And uh, that week transformed my life. I didn't make all the changes then, but what happened to me that week is I went, oh, I can make changes. I can make changes. And that, tra that week, not even anything he said or did, to be honest with you, and I love Tony, he's a dear friend. It wasn't that. It was me putting myself in an environment where I was meeting other people and making associations of people who had changed their lives. And then when I left there, I was a different person. I walked in that meeting one person and I left there. I walked in a pessimistic person and I left an optimistic person and I left with belief. I went in with no belief. I left with belief. And that decision changed the course of my life because I then committed myself to improving and changing myself for the rest of my days. And I still do that to this day. I'd love to hear more about World Financial Group and the early days. Um, can you talk us through like how your journey there has, has really informed, you know, a lot of who you are today and, and the decisions and what everything you've learned? It did. It was the beginning part of my business career. And that company involves a lot of recruiting and a lot of marketing and selling. And I had to learn to persuade. And a couple of things I even talk about in the book is I used to think persuasion, one of the biggest lessons I learned there. First, I learned a lot. I learned about human nature. I learned about dealing with rejection. I learned about 18 hour days. Um, 
I learned, you know what I learned? I learned that people will let you down too. I learned that you can't believe everything people tell you. I learned to begin to watch people like they were a silent movie. Turn the sound off on human beings and just watch how they behave and you'll learn everything about them. What they say is completely different than what they do. And once I started to not buy into all the things people told me and I'd watch them like they were an old black and white silent movie, I figured stuff out pretty quickly. But one of the things I learned there, there was a huge lesson that I teach this day. I think I'm the only person who says it this way. I'd like to think I am anyway. But I learned, when I used to try to persuade, I was always trying to get people to believe what I was saying. And you go, well, of course you do. That's how someone's persuaded. They believe what you're saying. It's actually not true. The great persuaders don't try to, try to get you to believe what they're saying, believe it or not. They try to get you to believe they believe what they're saying. And that's a subtle difference. Let me say that again. I don't try to get people to believe what I'm saying, even today. I try to get people to believe I believe what I'm saying. And that's a subtle distinction that means everything. The person who's always trying to get you to believe them, they're desperate. They're a beggar. They're less than you. The person who's simply trying to get you to feel the energy that they believe what they're saying, they're persuasive. And that was the subtle difference that I learned over time there, that even when I speak in big stages to arenas, I'm not up there trying to get you to believe everything I'm saying. I'm trying to get you to believe I believe it. And if I've done that, I've done my job of persuasion because in life, we're always making people feel something, aren't we? The question is, are you intentional about what they're feeling? Because you're making them feel something. And the more cognizant you are of what they're feeling when they're around you, they feel loved, they feel believed in, do they feel cared for? Do they feel certain that you believe it? Do they trust you? Do they like you? Do they feel accepted? Do they feel challenged? Do they feel passionate? There's a variety of things people can feel. But unless you start to be intentional about what they're feeling, you're leaving the world up. You're letting the world dictate the terms of your life rather than you dictating your terms to the world. I learned a lot about that there. Yeah. And how long were you there for? It seems like you were there for a while. Long term. And I still am. I'm still a consultant to that company. But my active role has been a while. You know, like where I'm actively doing that. I've ended up gone on to build, you know, 24 or 25 other businesses, you know, in tech and food and you know, personal development and I've got a, a crypto business and I've got a baseball card business and I got a chicken business and a chocolate business. So I built lots of other businesses, real estate business, but um, forever. It's been, it's been the, you take that uh, out of my life and I'm probably not talking to you right now. There's no question at all because it requires, what I like to say about that type of business is that it's really a personal growth program with a compensation package attached. And so it forces growth of humans, which I think most entrepreneurs are in personal growth businesses with compensation attached to it. The cool thing about that was that the compensation was significant, like really significant. And a lot of other people made money with me there. You know, I had thousands of people make six and seven, you no, know, six figures and some make seven figures that were under my stewardship there. Yeah, wow. So... You said you have 24 different businesses. How do you manage that many? That's crazy. Yeah, right now I don't have that many, but I've, I've had at my, at my peak that many. I have about 17 right now, but that's still a lot, right? Yeah. Um, I have great leaders run those businesses that I trust. I'm really, I learned a long time ago my limitations. So I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And if I am, I'm in the wrong room most of the time. So I know my limitations, bro. And I, it's a really important thing in life. I also know my strengths. So my dad was an alcoholic and got sober when I was 15 and then lived a great life. I also watched my dad live really bad the first 15 years of my life and extraordinarily in the last 35. And so, and then he passed away last year, which is why I wrote the book. But so I know human beings, you know, I know that they're capable of changing is the, is the most important thing that I would say about that. Cause I watched my dad do it, but I only really have two skills and I've leveraged them to hundreds of millions of dollars. I'll tell you what they are ironically. So give people hope. My first skill is my ability to read people and be present with them. And what that comes from is as a five-year-old boy with three sisters and an alcoholic dad, when he would come through the front door at five years old, I would have to look up at daddy and I would have to figure out which dad was coming through the door. Is it drunk dad where his tie's a little disheveled, his hair's messed up, maybe he's not walking right, his face looks red. And I could read my daddy at five. And if he was that, my sisters needed to go upstairs and mom should probably go take a shower. And then my second skill would kick in, my ability to persuade. Hey, daddy, how was your day? And I would grab his hand and tell him how good I did at school and move him around and my ability to communicate. 
If it was sober, Dad, we would just go play baseball in the backyard and it would be a great day. But I could get to the point, brother, where I could sit by the sound of his key in the front door. I could almost tell which dad was coming through. And to this day, if you meet someone who says, how did my let become pretty wealthy? How did my let become wealthy? I don't think most people would tell you that I'm the smartest person that they know. But I, or, you know, any, any of that stuff. I'm not the tallest, the shortest, the best looking. I'm none of that stuff. They would say, uh, he's maybe the most present person I've ever met and best at reading other humans. And maybe he's the best communicator I've ever seen. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that I've taken those two skills that come from tragedy and turned them into wealth. And what you will find out in your life is that most times, Napoleon Hill says, if you can survive temporary pain on the other side of it, you'll meet your other self. And I think God disguises opportunities in our lives as obstacles. That's just what I believe. And so there were opportunities around my dad's obstacle of drinking. And I've been able to find the good in it and find my other self through that temporary pain. And that's the key in life is to do so. I'd love to know, you talked about the ability to read people. Can you always know what people are thinking? Do you think that's a trap? Yeah, and I don't think I always do. I don't. I don't think I always know what they're thinking. But what I am pretty good at doing, I have a whole chapter in this. Tony Robbins teaches it, and I teach it a little bit differently on what I call the six human needs. And he teaches it in his events more like how to handle your own life. I teach it more like how to lead and influence people. And so what I am pretty good at doing, and I'm most, I'm right 95% of the time, is I can distill what their needs are. Is their need certainty? Is it uncertainty? Is it love? or connection? Is it significance and recognition? Is it growth or is it contribution? And what are their two or three dominant needs? People will let you know what they are if you really be present with them. And because I can figure out what they need, I'm good at one more thing. And I talk a whole bunch about this in the book. I'm good at identifying other human beings' gifts, what they're good at. And then I link those gifts to what I would like them to do. So I'm good when I meet somebody. Like I'll give you one thing on you that's apparent from the get, even when we first started talking your ability to be quiet and present when someone's speaking and to be reflective. And you listen without the need to be thinking about what your response is while you're listening. And the reason this show is so successful is not because of your ability to ask questions, even though you ask incredible questions. It's not even your ability to communicate or your good looking dude or any of that other stuff. And you're all those things. It's not that. It's your ability to be present and you're listening. You're an inc- you know this about you, right? And so very quickly in about five minutes, I go, no, it's her laughter. It's her nurturing skills. It's her intellect. It's her problem solving. It's their resiliency. It's their toughness. It's their kinesthetic touch. It's their humor, right? It's their kindness. It's their relentlessness. It's their competitiveness, right? It's their intellect, right? It's their humility. I'm good at identifying their two or three gifts. And, and that separated me in a lot of ways in business and in my personal relationships as well. Yeah, I think this is an incredible skill. I'd love to know what advice would you give to people when it comes to being more present, when it comes to being able to cultivate that ability to, to kind of really hone that intuition around that person, where they're at, how, like what their, what their needs, desires are, like motivations what they're thinking. People will tell you pretty quickly if you'll just get out of your own way. We're so nervous, aren't we, about what people are going to think about us. When we're with most people, we're thinking about what they're thinking about us. And the truth is they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about what you're thinking about them most of the time. And when you drop that and you get, this is really true. If you can get into the service of this person, and I actually say this, I mean, I, maybe it's corny, but I'm going back to what I learned at my orphanage. Um, this unbedded mess is going, and this is with strangers too. I love you. I care about you. I believe in you. I'd love to show you how to do something better. And I'm, this is the conversation going on with me when I'm listening to you. I got into an Uber two days ago. It drives my wife crazy because she was like, why don't we have a driver? I'm like, I want to take an Uber. That's a real person. So we get in the Uber, and like I always do, she already knows it's coming. I go, hey, brother, tell me your story. I love that. And sure enough, this man starts to tell me a story. And I'm in Southern California. I'm from Lebanon. I left there because we had to flee. But I lived in a gated community. And he said, I live with Christians and Muslims and agnostics on the same street. I said, you're kidding me in Lebanon. I don't know why I wouldn't have thought that. He goes, oh, yeah, it was very diverse. I said, tell me about Lebanon. And he educates me. I've never been there. 
And then I said, tell me about your family. This man who's driving an Uber who came from Lebanon and fled has a daughter at Yale, a son at Harvard, and another son at Stanford. I went, my gosh, you're a remarkable man. Thank you. Why are you driving? I'm driving Uber to help pay for their tuition and offset. I said, oh my gosh, that's incredible. You must have an amazing wife. He goes, oh, my wife. I'm a good dad. You, my wife's an amazing wife. And he begins it. And at the end of it, he goes, I've been driving for three years. And he didn't know who I was. And he said, I've never had a conversation this beautiful. I said, you know what, man, what a beautiful conversation. Thank you for me. My wife and I are inspired. And so it's for me to actually care. And you go, that's hard when I need to make a buck. That's hard when you're insecure. It's not. It's easier when you're insecure. When you're insecure, you want to feel more insecurity? Make it all about what you got to say. Make it that you got to be interesting. Make it that you got. It's easy when you're insecure because this is how I started doing it. Tell me about you. People's favorite subject, by the way, is them. And just let them talk and, and be genuinely interested. And listen, this is what you do. Listen without the need to be formulating your response while you're listening. And be, I have a lot of comedic friends. And one of the things they always tell me when I'm doing my public speaking is, be comfortable with some silence. The funny is in the silence. Ed, when you're speaking, it's okay that there's some silence. And even in a conversation, when someone speaks and there's a little bit of a gap as you're formulating your response, even though you think, oh, that's awkward silence, what it's actually telling them, wow, you were really listening. When you immediately cut them off or interrupt them or, uh, were you really listening? And so for me, it's, it's being comfortable with silence as well. Mm. There's a lot of power in silence. Like I've met some people where their presence and, and it, it, it can be really intimidating. It, it's, yeah, I, I see what you're talking about. I know what you mean. My grandfather, I had two grandfathers. One was very boisterous and loud. and I'm named after him. And the other grandfather was very quiet. He could sit in a room with you for three hours and he didn't need to say anything. But the difference was when that guy spoke, you really listened. You really listened. There was a presence, as you said, power in his silence. And I've learned that uh, sometimes I'm the grandfather who talks a lot when I'm being interviewed like this, but I prefer to be the quiet grandfather, like what you get to do today, and ask the questions. <laughs> hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. I'm also really curious around leadership persuading and also you talked about you know the other side of, of adversity is growth and and that's required um, how have you led like how, how how do you lead in times of adversity when you're amongst your you know your team like what advice yeah. would you give to others what what kind of things should people be thinking about when you know as an entrepreneur you carry so much so much on your shoulders for everyone and if the business isn't doing well, uh, how do you be, you know, a, a source of inspiration, hope, and yeah, I'd love to hear. So leadership is such an important topic. It's the only, um, it, I have two chapters on it in the book because I couldn't get it into one. So I'll say a few things about that. Number one, I'm really a big believer in candor. I think it's okay to go to folks and say, hey guys, we're having a tough time right now. We have a tough time. And then I always would say, we have a tough time. These are things we need to improve. But let me tell you where we're going. All of the greatest business leaders are what I call evangelical about their cause and their mission. The great leaders of nowadays are not all about profits or goals or competition, even though those are all important things. They are cause-oriented leaders. They're mission-driven. You have to be so evangelical about your cause and your mission. 
that when people get around you, it's infectious and contagious. It needs to be part of your culture as a leader. So remember, how do I do that? You have to sell a big enough dream and a big enough vision that the, all of the dreams and the visions of everybody within your stewardship can fit inside the one you're selling. Meaning you got to sell it bigger, 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 bigger. That doesn't mean you can't say, we're hurting right now. We're on the ropes. I'm not even sure we're going to get there. But if we get there, let me tell you what it's going to look like. Let me tell you how amazing it is. Let me tell you how incredible it's going to be. And people need us. This is our cause. This is our mission. If it's not for us, this isn't going to get done. Great leaders do two things. They are for something, what you're going to do, what your mission is. And they're also great at creating enemies. What are we against? That, that against could be obesity if you're in the gym business. That it could be debt or, or being broke if you're in the financial business. Or it even could be another organization. But you have to be for and against something. And the more you can create both of those dynamics, be evangelical about your cause and sell a big enough dream that the dreams of everybody with inside of your organization can fit in, in the one you're selling, now you're on to something. Be candid. Give you a couple more things. Most things in life that are precious from leaders are caught, not taught. They catch it from watching your example, from seeing it. You say, prove it to them by getting there earlier. Prove it to them with your effort. Show them that you mean it more than you ever have before. With your own actions, say, watch me. You know how much I believe in this? Watch me. And then the other thing I would say to you is, you know, you got to be able to, in life, at least for me, as a leader in all the different businesses that I'm in, when you sell this big vision, you have to do it repeatedly. It's repetition. Leaders are always trying to find to say new things. They think, I got to say these new things to old people. Leadership is about saying old things to new people. Get new people. And if you can't get new people, say the missions over and over and over again. Last thing I'll say on it, I'll give you a whole chapter on this in the book. What business are you really in? And people go, I'm in the finance business. I'm in the um, welding business. I'm in the dry cleaning business. I'm in the tech business. I'm in the cannabis business. No, you're not. Well, not if you're a great entrepreneur, you're not. If you're a great entrepreneur, you're in the happiness business. You go, oh, gosh. I'm telling you, all great entrepreneurs get link their product to being happier, link working with them to being happier. When I interview someone to come to work with me, I always say, listen, at the end of the day, here's what I want for you. I'm going to love you, care about you, believe in you. We're going to show you how to do better. But you know what the bottom line is? You're going to be happy you did it. When I was in marketing and financial service, when I was done, you, you end up investing in this product right now. I can just tell you this. You'll be happy you did. Why does happiness matter? Last thing. Largest seller of food in the history of the world is a company called McDonald's. They're also the number one holder of real estate in the world. And they're not in either one of those businesses. They're in the happiness business. They somehow got people to link happiness to fast food. Their mascot's a clown. What does a clown have to do with food? Absolutely nothing. But they learned the linkage. Their number one selling meal. A happy meal. No way. Number one thing they sell. Coca-Cola. You know what you get when you buy a Coke? You get a Coke and a smile. What does happiness have to do with a carbonated beverage? Absolutely nothing, but they've got you to link it. There's this other little company called Apple. This guy, Steve Jobs, founded it. His co-founder is a good friend of mine named Steve Wozniak. I asked Steve, I said, Steve, why Apple? Why'd you name it Apple? And Steve's kind of a prodigy dude. You know, he's, he's, he's almost like a savant. He goes, oh, because A was early in the phone book. And Steve always said Apple's made him happy. And then when you go over to YouTube right now and you watch Steve Jobs roll out, the, in the old days, roll out the new Mac or whatever it was, he'd go, isn't she beautiful? Look at her curves. How happy would you be to take this beauty home with you? He wasn't selling megs or whatever, or gigabytes, or I don't even know what that stuff is, right? He wasn't selling, he was selling happiness. The best entrepreneurs learn, they get creative about linking happiness, whether it's hamburgers, soft drinks, computers, dry cleaning, welding, waste management. That's what you got to get good at. Yeah, that was awesome, man. Thank you. Um, that was gold. So I'd love to switch gears and talk about your personal brand. So, you know, you've you've built that really, really fast. You have a massive social media following, super engaged, an incredible fan base. And you haven't been doing this that long. Like I remember, you know, I've been watching your work from afar and, and your mission and it's only been like, oh, you came into my world probably about three, four years ago. And yeah, you've grown really, really fast. So I'd love to talk about that. So my, uh, I'll tell you something funny, but I'll, 
the really cool thing is that, um, um, just looking at the article right now, I just got named the fastest growing business person in the history of social media. And what's really weird about it is all my peers have run hundreds of millions of dollars of ads for their other businesses, right? To help their brand. I've spent a grand total of zero dollars and zero cents on ads. So mine is all content with no uh, ads ever. So it's just been based on the content. And what I am is I'm pretty consistent. I do diverse posts about life, business, fitness, faith. There's diversity to it. Um, and I try to keep it as authentic. I'm, I'm pretty vulnerable, frankly. So like, I think a lot of, like most 65% of my following is female. When you would think I'm kind of a, I mean, I appear to be like a more of a masculine male with my voice and my look and I'm a little rough looking. So I think sometimes the contradictions and contrasts of the fact that I try to show my humility, my weaknesses when I'm down, uh, watching me is quite a ride because I'm going to tell you the days I'm down. I'm going to tell you the days I'm hurting. I'm going to tell you when I have chest pains and I'm going to tell you when I'm sick. And, and so I think that part of it's compelling. But I have to tell you the funniest thing because it just came up yesterday and I'll never forget this. I'll give everybody hope who doesn't have a big brand. When I started, I got challenged by Tony Robbins to do it. We were just like, you got to be on there, man. You know all this stuff and you're this great communicator. I'm like, I want to remain private. And he's like, well, that's why you're a fraud. You say you want to help all these people, but you don't want to inconvenience yourself. I'm like, all right, Jerko, I'll do it. So I got to tell you this. We're on my balcony. My 13-year-old son's there. And I go, how do you do this? What do you, what's, I swear to you, this is what I said, brother. I said, what is InstaFace? How does it work? And he's like, there's nothing called InstaFace, dumbass. It's called Instagram and there's a Facebook. I go, whatever it is, I'm in. How do you do it? He goes, you got to make a video, make a video. I said, okay, how long are these videos? I'm used to hour long keynotes. He goes, a minute. I go, a minute? I can't even clear my throat in a minute. What am I going to say in a minute? He goes, I don't know, but say some good stuff and make it like 55 seconds. So I make the first video, blah, 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 blah. I, I have my son posted who creates my Instagram account. The next day it gets four views, one like. And I call Robbins. He's on his boat. I'm on my boat. So it's kind of noisy and I'm an idiot. I know nothing about this stuff. I said, brother, this crap doesn't work. I got four views and only one of the people who saw it even liked it. No one even made a comment. He goes, what did you think? The first day it was going to get big, you dummy? It's going to take a while. I'm like, come on, man. This is too slow. And he goes, the other thing is, when did you post? I said, four o'clock in the afternoon. He goes, no, no, no. This is what I hear him say. He says, you got to post at breakfast time. So to this day, because this is what I heard, I post at 7.30 Pacific time every single day. Every post I've ever made on my main feed is at the exact same time. But what I hear him say you got to post at breakfast time. And he goes, and you got to have hash browns in the video. And I don't want to sound stupid. I said, what? Uh, okay. He goes, your son will know all about it. So I call my son back. He goes, Max, we're going to do another video tomorrow. And how did you not know to post at breakfast time? He's like, Daddy, I don't know why that matters. I go, it's the optimal time. And don't you know about the hash brown thing? My son goes, what in the world? Tony just told me you got to have hash browns in the videos at breakfast time. My son's like, dad, I don't think that's right, but I mean, we could do it. I said, tell your mom, we want hash browns in the morning. We're shooting this video. Sure enough, the next video, my second ever post, you can see it. Hey guys, blah, 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 blah. There's a plate of hash browns and eggs in front of me. I post it, it gets three views and no likes. And I call Robbins back. Tony, this crap doesn't work, man. I did everything you said. I posted at breakfast time. I got the hash browns in the video. It did worse. He goes, what the hell did you say? I said, I posted it at breakfast time. And I even had the hash browns in the video. And he goes, what the F are you talking about? I said, you told me to post hash browns in the video. He goes, I said, hashtags, dumbass, not hash browns. I'm like, what's a hashtag? He goes, I, he's old too. He goes, I don't know. It's like a pound sign and then a word. I go, what does that matter? That's even more stupid than having breakfast food in your video. He goes, I don't know. But if you put this pound sign and then type a word, more people see your video so I finally figured it out and then like you know a year later I had a million followers and then I had two million and then my podcast sort of skyrocketed. it was just crazy so I wherever you're at you probably aren't so stupid that you thought you're supposed to have hash browns in your second video so you're probably ahead of where I was hopefully I give you give you hope oh that's gold but like it's got to be more than just the content and the vulnerability and the humility. Like there's there's many other personal brands or people in the business space that, or you know, personal development space that that are. You if, know. You, if if you push me to be really honest, I'll just tell you straight up, I'm also real. I'm one of the few actually really wealthy people in the space. In other words, I did not get wealthy telling you how to do things I haven't done. 
I actually built businesses, got wealthy, became successful, and then taught it. So now you're in the 1% alone. Most of the people, and I like many of them are my really good friends and they bring tremendous value, but they've gotten rich telling you how to get rich, right? Or they, you know, they didn't actually do it before that. So there's a very small percentage that was very, very, most people that get very, very wealthy aren't on social media, don't want to be on there. They worked hard not to have to do that. For me, it was because of the way, the manner in which I did it was changing me as a human and watching my dad get sober. My dad, my dad tried to get sober many times. He did it one more time. Watching that. So I, if, I'm, if you're pushing me to like not have humility, if I'm being honest, it's like, wow, this dude has all these things. You know, whatever you think you want. I had a jet. I owned an island. I own an island. I've got three or four massive homes. And most people are attracted by those things. I'm still married to the girl that I met in elementary school. So I think maybe I had a pretty dang good life, at least externally. Everyone's life is messed, more messed up than everybody knows, right? But externally, I was pretty unique that I had already achieved those things. And then I think maybe like the combination of, um, I think there's three types of leaders. There's motivational, they play to your motives, get a jet, get a house, get an island, do stuff. That's great. Motivation is tremendous. And I love being called a motivational person. The next level though is inspirational. Inspirational is a little bit different where you're moving people in spirit. They feel an emotion. They feel an energy. They feel something in their heart when you communicate. I'd like to think I have that capacity. And the third level is very rare, which is aspirational, where people aspire to be like you. And I this, sound, this sounds very ego-driven. I don't, I don't like how I'm sounding, but I'm all three. I'm motivational, I'm inspirational, and for some people, I'm aspirational, meaning they would like to be more like me in some ways. I embody certain things maybe they would like to embody themselves. And so I think that had to have helped as well, along with a great team. And also, you know, everyone in the industry was good to me. They had me on their podcasts and their shows, like what you're doing right now. And, you know, my, like in my book, it's... it's you we will never read a book. I, Think and Grow Rich is my favorite book other than the Bible. And it's my favorite book. But having even said that, you don't just think and get rich. There's stuff you got to do. And so my book's unique in the fact that what's the thought and what's the action when you link them together in congruency produces a result. That, that book's never been written. And I didn't want to, you know this, you've had a lot of people on your show. If we're being honest, and so have I, most books written are some derivative of Think and Grow Rich with just some different words on it. And probably to some extent, mine has some of that as well. But there will be many things in this book. Some chapters will resonate more than others that you have never heard before, ever, anywhere, I don't think. And it'll be uh, of value and service to you. And that's why I wrote it, because I'm not going to write another book for a long time. It's too hard. <laughs> I'm not. I'd love to hear about what your day looks like. Um, you strike me as somebody that has a, an incredible discipline, you have habits. Like what, what does your morning look like? Do you have a morning routine? What does your day look like to kind of, yeah, prepare yourself for the day, to make the most of the day, to maximize the day? Like I'd love to hear. Well, you're right. I am disciplined and I'm disciplined because I'm lazy. In other words, I had to build structures around my proclivity to want to sit around and do nothing. I'm, I'm, I know me, right? So I had to build structure. Um, my morning routine, if you would asked me that five years ago or read my other book, I mean, it was relentlessly specific and maybe I'm a little older but my routine now I have an overall theory if I can control the first 30 minutes of my day and the last 30 minutes of my day there's a probability I'll gain a pretty high measure of control over the middle and so my first 30 minutes are disciplined but they're not crazy anymore they used to be pretty crazy so I wake up the first thing I do I'll just give you the quick rundown first thing I do when I get up is I pray I actually get on my knees and pray why do I do that why do I get on my knees um, I want to feel small I want my ego in check. Um, I want to connect with my higher power. And so I immediately pray. That takes anywhere from a minute to 10 minutes, depending on what's on my mind. Uh, and then I do some stretching because I'm getting old. And uh, I want to, I lift a lot of weights. And so I need to be able to stretch and stay limber. I then um, meditate. And I live on the ocean, which is cool. But I used to live in an apartment. And I did it there too. And so I meditate for however long that takes. I just try to empty my mind and get centered for a few minutes. And then I do do something cold. Uh, it's cold plunge or cold shower for two to three minutes. Not for the reasons that, you know, I probably, I used to do it. I used to do it because, you know, it was, uh, you know, a, a difficult thing to start my day and all that. I do it now to help me wake up. 
it just awakens every one of my senses. I'm fully awake and fully immersed in it. And, uh, and then I'm pretty much on with my day. I drink a cup of coffee. I intermittent fast, so I don't eat till 11 o'clock. So I do have coffee in my fast. And then I get started with my day. The key component is I don't touch my phone during those 30 minutes, which is the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Now it's automatic. But most people wake up, grab their phone, and they're immediately reacting to everyone else's problems and issues. They haven't even left the bed yet. And they've set the tone for their day in their life that they are a reactor. I want to set the tone for my life that I am the dictator of the terms of my life. So I don't touch that sucker for 30 minutes until I'm done with my routine. That is not easy, by the way. But once you master that, you have mastered you. Last 30 minutes are real simple. Prayer again. I do something warm. Shower, bath, sauna. Stretch again. Prayer. Go through my outcomes and my vision for the next day. I lay out my clothes for the next day. So that's one less thing I do. And then um, I always, you know, the, the book's called The Power of One More because I always believe in doing one more. So I do something one more, which we can talk about in a minute if you want. But so I do one more something at the end of the day. Typically, that usually takes the form of one more text message or call to a friend telling them I love them. I try to do one more. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about that a little more, um, what, what, what that is. Uh, and then we have to work towards wrapping up on conscious of your time. But this is awesome. Okay, so the power of one more is really simple. People lack self-confidence. Why do they lack self-confidence? They don't keep the promises they make to themselves. So I was an unconfident man for many years because I broke promises to myself. I had a reputation with myself that I couldn't trust me. So the baseline to get confident is begin to keep the promises you make to yourself. You're going to get up at six, get up at six. You're going to do 10 reps in the gym, do 10 reps in the gym. You're going to make 10 contacts in a day, make 10 contacts in a day. All of a sudden, slowly but surely, you have built a reputation with yourself that's outstanding. Then I thought to myself, what would I need to do to be superhuman? One more than what I told myself. So now if I told myself I'm going to do 30 minutes in the treadmill, I'm doing 31. I'm going to tell my daughter I'm going to, I love her once a day. I'm going to tell her one more time a day. I'm going to make 10 contacts in a day. I'm making one more. And so then I started to build this thing because in life, we don't get our goals. We get our standards. So if your standard isn't that you keep promises to yourself, you're going to fail. If your standard is you do keep promises to yourself, you're going to do very well. If your standard is you do one more than you promise yourself, you're superhuman. And so that's why I do one more. Yeah, I love that because it's so achievable. It's doable. You control it. It's an internal game. Everything in life is an internal game, but you got to set it up where it's doable and it's chunked in small chunks is how you change your life. And that leads to that one decision, that one moment, that one everything. Yeah, incredible. Um, you're talking about the phone and, and you, you took me back in time. I remember seeing one of your videos and you talked – Funnily enough, about your morning routine, you said something that actually still stays with me. It's funny, I remembered this, I'm just recalling it. You said, if you pick up that phone in the morning in, when you wake up, it owns you. Like, like you're, you're done. You're done. How do I know that? It owned me for a couple decades. I lived in it. And it's telling that phone and the world that's the master instead of you. If you can't wake up, think about when you were a child. You didn't wake up and grab a telephone, right? Something's happened to us over time where before we leave our bed, we need our initial dose of stress. Because what's on that phone isn't a bunch of great stuff. What's on that phone is you got this meeting. I got to cancel. This is the problem. This check, this issue in your business. Well, you're still in the bed. You're a reactor. And people think about your life right now. If I said to you, are you in charge? Or is the world sort of moving you around with their thumb on you? vast majority of people, including me many years ago, would say, the world's got their thumb on me and I'm reacting and responding all the time. Well, that's because you start your day that way. And if you can begin to start those 30 minutes, not that way, you will take back your life. You will own your life. That phone will not own you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, look, uh, have to move to the hot seat round. Got a few questions for you. Rapid fire. Um, and then, uh, yep. Okay. If you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? Certainly would tell me that, hey, everything's going to be okay if you outwork everybody. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Don't get so com you know, comparison oriented because once we begin to compare, our egos involved, and I wasn't as smart, as good, they're happier, they're more successful, drop all the comparison, keep it an internal game and outwork everyone. When is work fulfilling? When I'm serving other people, man, like today, this isn't work. This flew by. I felt like eight minutes for me. Work for me is, is fulfilling um, and flies by when I'm just 
feel like I'm contributing and making a difference to other people. It drags on when the lack of that is present. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? From my dad, which was that when my dad got sober, um, I said, Daddy, are you going to stay sober the rest of your life? And he said, I don't know. I'm just not going to drink for one more day. And I've used that one more day so many times I wanted to quit my business. I just won't quit for one more day. I'm just going to try for one more day. And when you can hold on for one more day, you'll find often that when you wake up the next day, you've got a little bit more resiliency and a little bit more toughness. And so that was the best advice I've ever been given. Just don't do it for one more day. What's the worst advice you've ever been given? The worst advice I've ever been given is that you should spend all the money you make and get it out of your pocket because it's not doing anything if you save it. I hear a lot of influencers say that. Those are guys that are eventually going to burn out and fry and be broke. So I'm a believer in... um, I'm a believer in really getting rich and not trying to look rich. And so save and invest your money would be my advice, not to blow it and make yourself look rich when you're actually not. Love it. If you could have dinner with one entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Maybe the best question I've ever been asked. It has to be an entrepreneur, huh? Mm. If it's an entrepreneur, I would go have dinner with Steve Jobs. And then last question, Where's the best place people can find out more about yourself, your work, and the power of one more? Uh, the power of one more.com is a great place for my book. You can go to Amazon uh, right now and get it or Target or anywhere books are sold. And then for social media or my podcast or my YouTube, it's just Ed Milet, E-D-M-Y-L-E-T-T. My main social media platform is still probably Instagram, and I've got a podcast uh, as well. And the book is, uh, I'm very, very proud of the book. I would really recommend you go get the power of one more. Incredible. Ed, that was a blast, man. You were awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) You make it so easy, brother. It's so good to be with a pro. So thank you so much for having me today. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic And I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.